the family had backpedaled as far as they could. Now with their backs against the farthest wall, deep within the mountain cave, they fearfully waited their certain demise. The beast approached the terrified family. With matted hair and teeth bared, the wolf crept closer and closer. Crouching close to the ground, the wolf prepared itself to attack the vulnerable family. But then, but then, unexpectedly, a shot rang out, toppling the wolf and sparing the family. All good stories have a but then. Just when hope, when hope seems to vanish, a but then enters the story. A positive change enters the picture. A hero comes to the rescue. This morning, we have such a story for us. And that story is found in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles and follow along as I read that story for us this morning. Again, it's Romans chapter 3. And we'll be beginning in verse 21 and reading to the end of the chapter. However, before our reading, let me, say, let me set the stage uh, for the but then, okay? Remember, every good story creates suspense, but then something happens. Well, the Apostle Paul has created tension in this story that we've been studying together. He's made it very clear that salvation cannot be earned. Okay? If you are a naturalist, meaning you love creation and worship creation, such loyalty will not get you into heaven. If you are a moralist, meaning... You follow the rules, and you hope and pray that your behavior, because of those rules, will get you into heaven. Well, sorry, being a good person won't cut it either. If you're a religionist, meaning one who goes to church and practices all the disciplines that are associated and the rituals that go with that discipline, the bad news is this, even being a church goer will not... Cut it when it comes to heaven. You see, there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. At this point in our story, you should begin feeling some tension. You've been backed into the corner. Your back is against that far wall. And there's nowhere to go. Hopelessness should now be creeping in. 
Despair should now be your companion. Just when you think all is lost, the story is interrupted with a, but then. Let's read about the good news. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. The word isn't exactly but then, but I think you'll get it. Here's what it says in 21. But now, he uses the word now, or but then. A righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Well, on what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcision through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. A paradigm shift has taken place. And it begins there in chapter 3. Just when it all seemed hopeless, Paul did a fine job of explaining that, hey, just because you worship creation, just because you are a moral person or even a religious person, just because those things won't cut it. And so he's done a good job of creating tension. And here we come to chapter 3, verse 21, 21, and we have a paradigm shift. God stepped in in a new way to make our relationship with Him right. So let's spend some time together taking a look at this new way that God has provided for each of us. Looking at verses 21 and 22, we have... A way to be right with God. That's point number one. We have a way to be right with God. Now, when we understand that we cannot be good enough to warrant God's favor, God steps in with a new way to make us right with Him. You see, a legal action is taking place. We are being declared righteous. That's what chapter 3 is talking about. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God looks at us as being righteous people. Got a picture here I'd like you to see. Uh, What's taking place here in chapter 3, it's talking about imputation. That is the fancy word uh, that's taking place. It's called imputation. And what is happening here is that 
The righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to us, the believer. Okay? It's a legal transaction. In fact, imputation is kind of a legal word. So what we're having is Jesus Christ's righteousness is being placed on our account if we are followers of Jesus. So his righteousness is being placed on us. And then from the believer, our guilt, you'll see it at the bottom of the slide there, our guilt is transferred or imputed to Jesus Christ. So there's a double imputation taking place. So what it is, is Jesus Christ's righteousness is being placed on our account, and our sin is being placed on Christ. And that's why he died on the cross, to take care of that sin. So the result is this, when God looks at us, he sees righteous people, not because of the things that we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. So Jesus Christ and his work becomes kind of that lens through which God looks. And as he looks through that lens of Jesus Christ, he sees that we are righteous. Again, not because of us, what we have done, not our good deeds and so forth, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's why we are declared righteous okay it's just a legal transaction that has taken place let me see if i can explain it a little bit more we as individuals have sins right and the scripture says that our sins are as filthy rags college give me your filthy rag okay okay this is his filthy rag represents all of his sin and in exchange, what God does is he gives him something valuable. So I'm giving here, college, a million dollars. Yep, says on there, one, zero, 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 yep, one million dollars. So in exchange, uh, I have received college's sin, okay, his the dirty rags, the filthiness, and uh, what I have given him is a million dollars. So go ahead, have a seat there. So that's what's taking place, everyone. When we come, in to come to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ says, hey, give me your filthy rag, okay? And Scripture says all our deeds are as filthy rags, talking about our sin. God says, give me your sin, okay, and I'll take it. And in exchange, I will give you something more valuable, okay? So the transaction has taken place, and it's written in the books. So remember, this is a legal transaction, okay? We may not feel any different, okay? We may not look any different, but God has written it down in his ledger, ledger, if you will, that we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, he has now given us something valuable. He's taken our dirty filth, our dirty rags, and he has given us something valuable. And that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that when he does look at us, okay, is, when he looks at us, he sees us as righteous people. All right. Pressing on here, we come to point number two. This new way to be right with God is available by faith, okay? This new way, this way of being declared righteous, again, not because of the things that we do, but because of what Christ has done, we are declared righteous. And this, this righteousness that we receive comes through our faith, okay? Comes through our faith. The imputation, remember the fancy word? In other words, when we, uh, we receive Jesus' righteousness, that takes place when we uh, exercise our faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, okay? So faith becomes that catalyst that makes you deserving of God's gift of righteousness. 
And here's what Paul says. He says that in verse 22 of Romans chapter 3. He says, this righteousness, again, we're talking about this imputation of righteousness, this righteousness that we receive from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Okay? To all who believe. So it's your faith. Your faith becomes that catalyst. Okay? It's because of your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross where you have come to that to that place in your life and you recognize, you know, I am a sinner and I realize I cannot be good enough. I can't do enough good things. I cannot be a, a moral enough person. I, just, I can't do those things. I'm going to fall short. And when we come to that point, we know that we can't do that. Then we look to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he says, if you will place your faith in what I have done, of course, is dying on the cross. He was buried. He came back to life. Remember, we serve a risen Savior. But when we place our trust when we rest in what He has done, which is our faith, our trusting, that activates, okay, activates the righteousness that is placed into our life, okay? So, when God looks at the books, you know, the ledger, if you will, and, it, and, it, and your name comes up in the ledger, okay, He's just going to ask you, okay, are you exercising your faith in what Jesus Christ has done? And if the answer is yes, then you are saved and you have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So this new way is available by faith. By faith. Moving on to number three. This new way is available to all. Okay? That's the good news. It's available to all. This right relationship with God is available to all. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 explains that this imputation of righteousness, placing Jesus' righteousness on our account, is available to all, look at verse 22, to all who believe, okay? There's no qualifying statement there, okay? There's no stipulation. It just says to all who believe. I guess that there might be a, dis, a, a stipulation, and that is, of course, believing and trust and faith. Um, and the reason that we, uh, we need Christ, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is the plight of all mankind, Okay? Verse 23, that's the plight of every one of us. And because we do fall short of perfection, remember, if you want to go to heaven apart from Jesus Christ, live a perfect life, and then you're a shoe-in. Can you live a perfect life? The answer is no, we can't. We can't. We need somebody who will step into our life, so to speak, and get us there. And, of course, that is Jesus Christ. When we exercise, place our faith and trust in what He has done, we become part of His family, and His righteousness is placed on our account. So, this new way is available to all. So He's not uh, making any kind of a, a list of saying, okay, this one's in, this one's out. Nope, it's available to all. Salvation is available to all. Number four, uh, this new way excludes works. It excludes works. Uh, now, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans here, uh, explains to us that no one can earn their salvation. Uh, look with me now at verse 27 and 28 of chapter 3. Uh, verse 27 asks a question, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Well, on what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. 
That's what verse 27. Let me paraphrase. Here's what verse 27 is saying. Can we lay claim to earning our salvation? This is what verse 27 is saying. Can we lay claim to earning our salvation? Well, the answer is no, we can't. Your restored relationship with God is based on your faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what he's saying in verse 27. In other words, it excludes works. Excludes works. Am I earning my salvation? No. You are restored in a relationship with God through exercising faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done. That's, that's the answer. That's what happens. Verse 28 says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. We could paraphrase verse 28. We maintain that man is right before God by his faith in Jesus Christ, not according or not based on what he can do or has done. Okay? So it's all by faith. That brings us to number five, a new way that compels obedience. Uh, we're looking at verse 31 here. Verse 31 says, Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And so basically, again, to paraphrase here, the question that's being asked is this. So what's, used, what's the use of the law then? I mean, if the law doesn't get us to heaven, uh, what's the use? I mean, if obeying the law will not get me any closer to heaven than some lawbreaker... What good is the law then? Why do we have it? Well, the Bible makes it clear that the law is good. Okay, and there's a couple of things that we can look at real quickly. First of all, in verse 20 there of chapter 3, uh, the, uh, the author says, well, the law is good because through the law, I became conscious of sin. Right? So the law says, do not steal. Okay. I didn't know, no, you couldn't steal. Now, now the law has made it clear that I can't steal. Uh, you know, thou shalt not uh, kill. Okay, oh, taking a life of somebody is wrong? Oh, I didn't realize it. Now I know because of the law. See how the law, it's good because it exposes us. It uh, makes us aware of what God desires. So it's good in that sense. And then also, if we jump to Galatians chapter 3, it says this, the law, what we're talking about, was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Okay, so the law leads us to Christ. The law reveals our sinfulness. The law is such that, uh, remember, if you want to get to heaven on your own merits, you know, apart from Jesus Christ, well, then live a perfect life. We all realize, well, I, I can't do that. And that's one of the benefits of the law. The law reveals, I, I can't do it all. I, I can't be right, you know, 24-7. I, I can't do the right thing, you know, day in and day out. I, I just can't. It should create tension. should create frustration. frustration. But the relief, the joy, comes in knowing that, hey, there is somebody who has done it. That's Jesus. And he paid the price for my sin. He went to the cross. And he invites us to enter into a relationship 
with him based on faith and trust, trusting in what he has done. And when we do that, we receive Christ's righteousness. It's placed on our account so that when Jesus or God looks at us, he sees people who are declared right in relationship with him. They are righteous. They're declared right, not because of what we've done or have di or did in the past, but all because of what Jesus has done. So what is th verse 31 here? Verse 31 here, when it's talking about the law, uh, the emphasis here is not on salvation, but on obedience. You know, they're saying, well, what, what use is the law? Well, the law is good. And uh, because of a rightly, right relationship with Jesus, our natural inclination should be to uphold the law. Again, we don't do uphold the law to earn salvation. We uphold the law because we are grateful and we want to be obedient to what Christ has done to us. Okay? So you see where the good works comes in, in our relationship with God? It's because of thankfulness. It's because of, uh, of wanting to honor Him. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a visible way of expressing our gratitude for what God has done. And therefore, we, re we act that way. So in here we find, in chapter 3, a new way. A paradigm shift has taken place. Uh, it used to be everybody was dependent on their works and obeying the law, and they realized we can't do it. They've been backed up against the farthest wall of the cave, and they know that they can't go anywhere. They need somebody to step in. Well, that's what chapter 3 is about. Jesus Christ steps in. Okay, He steps in. And he, and he has a way to make us right with God. We can't do it, but Jesus can do it. Okay? And this way to be right with God is available through our faith. Remember, that is the catalyst. When we place our trust, when we rest in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for me and, and accept that work, that is our faith in action. And when the faith is in action, we have Christ's righteousness placed on our account. Okay? So it's available through faith, and it's available to all. And we all need it, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, and this new way, just to remind us, excludes works. Okay, the only reason you're going to go to heaven is because of what Christ has done for you and your faith and trust in that. Okay, your works, well, they're as filthy rags, all right? Okay, they're as filthy rags. You need somebody who's going to give you a million bucks, all right? That million bucks comes from Jesus Christ. And so it excludes works. And lastly, uh, this new way compels us to obedience. That's why we do the right thing and we do things that uh, bring pleasure to God because we're grateful for what he has done. It's a new way how God is making us right with him. So let's uh, wrap it up with uh, our application. So what do we do with this the, these, uh, these thoughts that we've been talking about this morning. Well, you know, to really live the Christian life in freedom and to enjoy it, there's some things that we got to know. So this morning's message, especially here in chapter 3, uh, the information and the truth that we're studying is really about knowledge. So we need to have the right stuff in our minds so that the right things can come out. So application here this morning is this. We need to know that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, God looks through the lens of Jesus' righteousness 
And when he does, he sees us as righteous people. I'm not a worm, okay? I'm not a miserable scoundrel in God's eyes. No, because of what Christ has done, the lens is in place. And when God looks at me, he sees somebody that Christ loved and died for and gave his very life for. So we need to know. Here's a passage in Ephesians. Uh, the Apostle Paul prayed for many believers here in Ephesians. Is also you find in Philippians, the believers in those particular areas. Here in the, the Ephesus and the, the Ephesians, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So when it comes to application this morning, we are knowing God better. We're knowing how God sees us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. So today's application is knowing. And lastly, if you want to be righteous in God's eyes, it all begins with placing your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done. Have you in your point, in your life, come to that realization, I'm not going to heaven on my own, therefore I need Christ. If you have not, I encourage you. Let me encourage you strongly. Place your faith and trust in Christ. And when you do, you become right with God. Christ's righteousness is placed on your account so that when God looks at you, he sees somebody that he's going to spend eternity with. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, thanks again for your goodness. Thank you for making a way for all of us to know you. And Lord, thank you so much that even though we know we fall short, we know we mess up, that, that does not change our status before you, how you see us. Lord, because of our faith and trust in your son Jesus, you see us as those who are righteous. Lord, you declare us righteous. The God of this world declares us righteous. Thank you for that wonderful truth. May that govern and guide our lives as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.